Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Amen, amen. Well, good morning, South Valley. Great to see you guys. You guys came prepared to worship today. Am I right? I love that. I love seeing you guys worship. You are a singing church, and that it's actually really fitting with our passage today because we're going to talk about the, the purpose of singing, the joy of singing worship and praise to our God and to our King. My name is Ricky Hemi. Thanks for worshiping with us online. Thanks for joining us in purpose today. Today is week two of our—did I say in purpose? Uh, in, in person, sorry, in person. Thanks for joining us in person. Okay, today is week two of our Christmas Advent series titled God with Us. The word Advent, as we've talked about the last two weeks, the word Advent simply means coming or arrival. And during this season, Christians from all around the globe, they pause and they prepare their hearts to celebrate the miracle of Christmas. Now last week we were introduced to a remarkable young woman by the name of Mary. Mary holds a special place in the Christmas story and for good reason. And this week though we're going to be introduced to an equally remarkable but much older cousin of Mary's, a woman by the name of Elizabeth. Now, Mary's encounter with the angel Gabriel, if you guys were here with us last week, you'll remember this. Mary's encounter with the angel Gabriel left her feeling pretty excited. Okay? She was given a special mission from the Lord. She was told that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, even though she was a, still a virgin. And so she's excited, but she's also very, very perplexed. She bravely embraced the challenge of giving birth to the Messiah, but that doesn't mean that she felt ready for such a huge task. And so what we're going to see in today's passage is that Mary needed a friend. She needed a friend to process this news with. So three days after interacting with this angel, Gabriel, we read that she left the region of Nazareth, the tiny little town of Nazareth, and she hurried down to southern Israel to a place in, in Judah to visit with her, her cousin named Elizabeth. And what we know about Elizabeth is this. Elizabeth was well past childbearing age, over the age of 60, but she had six months prior to this, she was told that she was going to bear a son and his name was going to be John. And so Mary, she hears about Elizabeth. She, she hurries off in haste to Judah to talk to her cousin Elizabeth. And she finds out that her cousin is approaching the third trimester of her pregnancy. And so for the mommies in the room, do you mommies remember how you felt when you first discovered you were with child? Do you remember that feeling? Were you excited? Were you nervous? Were you craving pickles and ice cream? Were you nesting? How did you respond when you first found out that you were with child? What did you do? Did you laugh? Did you cry? Did you jump with praise? What did you do? Uh, when Carly and I first discovered that we were going to have a child, uh, the first thing that I felt when Carly announced that she was pregnant with our daughter Blake was pure joy. I was so excited to be a daddy. But then as the joy kind of faded away and I, the news kind of sunk in, I started to be filled with, instead of joy, a little bit of dread, okay? Because I didn't know if I was really ready to raise a little human. Any dads relate to that? 
like, wow, I'm going to have a little human in my household. And so the the joy quickly turned to dread. And so what I did is I I tried to figure out, okay, what does it look like to be a dad? So I started buying books about parenthood, and I started reading all the books I could on parenthood, trying to prepare myself. One of the books I read was What to Expect When You're Expecting. That's a book for women, by the way. But I wanted to be prepared. So I wanted to know what was going on with my wife, what's going to happen with my kid when my child is born. Am I ready for this? Like, I'm excited, but I'm also really scared. And so I'm reading. And as I'm reading these books, I'm telling Carly all these random pregnancy facts. And she's like, you don't need to t- I know. I'm experiencing it. You don't need to tell me this stuff. But I was, so, I was so in awe that God would allow me to be a father. I wanted to be ready. But here was the thing I realized. We're never really ready for parenthood. Doesn't matter how many books we read. Doesn't matter if an angel comes to us and tells us we're going to have a child. That's what we're seeing in this story today. An angel goes to Mary. An angel goes to Elizabeth. They're told they're going to have a child. But even though they hear from God that they're going to give birth to a special child, they don't feel ready. All of us parents, we do what we can to raise our children in the Lord, to love them and and be good parents. But at at, at the end of the day, we're all just winging it, right? Can I get an amen? Anybody else just winging it? Okay. So we're winging it. We, we figure it out. Like, I finally got this figured out. And then our, our kids approach a new phase in, in childhood, right? They go from toddlers to little kids to teenagers. And so we're just, we're just figuring it out as we go. Well, I think that's important because in today's story, these two women, they need somebody to process their pregnancies with. They're very excited to bring these children into the world. These children are are chosen by God. They have a special mission and purpose from the Lord. But these mothers, they're like, wow, what what am I going to do? Am I really ready for this? Okay, one of these mothers is only a teenager. That's Mary, just a teenager. The other other mother, Elizabeth, is over 60 years old. Could you, did did any of you think of having children over 60 years old? No, if, if you're in that position, yeah, you're probably, you'd probably be worried too. Like, am I really ready for this? So both of these women, they're wondering, what is going to happen? Am I really ready for such a task? And so Mary's joy of being a mommy and fear of raising a very unique and special son inspired her to look for help from someone in a similar situation. So she went with haste to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Today's sermon is titled The Joy of Belief. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke 139. Luke 139. And uh, I'll pray and we'll jump in. Will you pray with me? Father God, calm our hearts, silence our minds. Help us, Lord, to see the miracle of Christmas. As we celebrate Advent, as we celebrate the joy, the love, the peace, the hope that Jesus came to bring. I pray that not only would we experience that hope and joy and love and peace in our own hearts, but that we would share that hope and joy and love and peace with the people around us. I pray that if anybody's here today who's worried or concerned or carrying burdens or perplexed like these women were feeling in this passage, I pray that they would get clarity from you today. I pray that they would hear your voice respond to your Holy Spirit. And that you would move and that you would work in big and miraculous ways. We thank you for this Christmas season. And I thank you, God, for South Valley Community Church, this singing church, this exciting church to to serve. I love this church and I just praise you for these people. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Luke 1, 39. 
This is what it says. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. So our passage today is about two expectant mothers. One was a young teenage virgin around the age of 15. We learned that back in these days, it was common to marry as a teenager, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. You get betrothed, you you would agree to marry somebody, then you'd wait a year and you'd finally consummate that marriage through a public union and then you'd move in together. And so, so Mary was betrothed, about 15 years old. She's a young teenage virgin who's about to bear a child. The other person in this passage is a much older woman who always wanted children, but was well past childbearing years. Now, the thing that these two women have in common is this. Both of these women were visited by the angel Gabriel. In Luke, Luke describes the interaction that happened between Gabriel and these women. So Gabriel came and he announced the birth of, of their children, and he also announced the name and purpose of their children. We read in Luke 1, 30, 31 that Gabriel said this to Mary. He said, you'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus, and he'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. Those are the words that Mary heard. You could imagine that she was feeling perplexed, feeling honored, but also perplexed. Similarly, a few verses earlier, Gabriel came to Zechariah while he was worshiping in the temple, and he gave Zechariah news about his wife, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, who is over 60 years old, maybe 70, 80 years old in this passage. We don't know for sure, but this is what Zechariah is told in the temple, Luke 1.13. The angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you're to name him John, John the Baptist. And you'll have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Two women, two very excited mommies with two very special missions. They had special missions, they had special callings, but they were also very nervous. One thing I want you to know today is this, when you get a calling from the Lord, when God wants to do something special in you and you got to take a step of faith, it's okay to be nervous. It's okay to be a little concerned, a little perplexed. That's exactly what we're seeing in this passage. These women are a little nervous. Okay, Mary and Elizabeth, they had to wrestle through not just having a child at these, these stages that they were at in their lives, but they also had to deal with all kinds of social stigmas. You see, Mary was a virgin from a very small town. And so what do you think everyone from the small town of Nazareth was saying when they discovered Mary was pregnant out of wedlock? It probably wasn't good. It probably wasn't nice. It was a town of less than 500 people. When they discover that Mary's having a kid out of wedlock, I'm sure the chattering is going all over the place. Everyone's talking about Mary. So she had to deal with that social stigma. And Elizabeth, in this passage, she's not, she's not, uh, social stigmas aren't new to her because she had lived her entire life as a barren woman. And, and in this society, this is wrong. I just want to say it up front. This is wrong. This is not right to do. But in this society... If you were unable to have a child, then, then some people saw you as cursed by the Lord. And so she had to deal with that. 
She had to carry that pain around with her for years and years and years. People looking down on her, even though she'd done nothing wrong. Even though there was nothing wrong with Elizabeth, God had a special plan for Elizabeth. But for years, she carried this disgrace and this shame. And it's really sad. But when when Elizabeth found out that she was finally pregnant, well past the years that she would ever dream of being pregnant, she says this in Luke 125. She says, how kind the Lord is. How kind the Lord is. He's taken away my disgrace of having no children. The first thing that these two expectant mothers teach us about joy is the joy of friendship. The joy of friendship. Although both of these women were perplexed, although both of them were a bit scared, they found joy in sharing their stories with one another. Mary and Elizabeth, they're amazing and their their union their sisterhood is amazing because it's a picture of friendship it's a it's a picture of what it looks like to need somebody else to offload your burdens and your worries onto somebody else and I think that's why Gabriel told Mary that her cousin was pregnant in the announcement to Mary Gabriel said to Mary hey I want you to know you're not the only one with child your 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 cousin Elizabeth is six months along with child right now as we speak And so as soon as this young mother heard these words, we read three days later, she took off as fast as she could with haste to visit her cousin Elizabeth. They needed, these two women needed to unburden their thoughts, express their hearts, share their feelings with someone they can trust. They needed a friend to talk to. And I'm sharing that with you today because of this. This story is a reminder that we all need friends. We all need friends. When I was reading those books about parenthood, I had so many questions. <laughs> so many questions about what it meant to be a daddy. So many questions about what was going to happen in the delivery room. Man, that was a scary thought to me. And dads, can I get an amen, dads? And by the way, women, you, you are heroes. Can we give it up for the women? They are just... We are so grateful for the mothers in, in this house. And, and so I had to prepare myself. But here was the thing. I didn't just have books. I had people to process with. I had friends. I got to ask about parenthood. I, I had friends. I got to ask about raising a little baby. I had friends that I got to ask about the season of raising toddlers. I had friends to process with. If I didn't have friends, I would have felt like I was drowning as a dad. We all need Friends, God never intended for us to go through life alone. You and I, we are relational beings. That's because God is a relational being. Did you know that we worship a triune God? That the God of heaven, he exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, three persons, one God. And within God, there's perfect friendship, There's perfect community, and there's also perfect unity. And as image bearers of God, you have been created in the image and likeness of God. And as an image bearer of God, you too are created for friendship. You too are created for community. It's not good for you to be alone. We all need friends. And so I want to encourage you, this this story is encouraging to me because it's a reminder for this Christmas season, it's a reminder for all of us to lean into the joy of friendship. 
Christmas time is a special time of year because we slow down, we eat some good food, we hang out with people, we have people in our homes. I want to encourage you during the holidays, enjoy friendship. Have people in your home. Make some good food. Bake those cookies. Share your thoughts. Share your feelings. Unburden some of the things that are heavy on your heart, heavy on your soul. Be a friend. Be authentic. Have fun. Listen. Talk. Eat good food. Be a friend. And that sounds like a simple application, but one thing we see in this story is that God made us for friendship. He made us for friendship because friendship brings about joy. The opposite of friendship, though, is isolation. The opposite of community is is just retreating in the dark. And here's the problem. Isolation is like poison in our souls. Fear thrives on loneliness. Anxiety and depression, they grow in the dark. But good friends are like medicine. They make you feel better when you're down. And so Mary, in this story, she needed the medicine of friendship. We all need the medicine of friendship. And and one of the ways that we want to cultivate friendship in this church over the next year is we want to start new small groups, new community groups in the new year. We're hoping to launch 10 new community groups. That means we need 100 people joining small groups. And the reason we do small groups is not, because, not just because of the discipleship and the fellowship and the, and the learning and the, and the praying for one another. That's, that's the, the first reason we do it. But we also do it because we believe in solid friendships. God wants you to have Christians that you can rely on in your life, in your corner. God wants you to have people you can unburden with. God wants you to share the burdens of others. And so what this story is reminding us of is the the purpose of friendship and even the purpose of discipleship. And so one thing I want to challenge you with, for the older women in the room, let me ask you this. Who is your Mary? Who's your Mary? The young woman that you're investing in, discipling, loving, caring for. Who is your Mary? For the younger women in the room, who's your Elizabeth? Who's the more mature disciple who, who has gone the road before you, who you could learn from and, and be invested in? And for the men in the room, who are you investing in and who is investing in you? What we see in Scripture is that there's a pattern for the older investing in the younger, the younger looking for wisdom and strength from the older. And this is what's happening. This is exactly what is happening in this passage. And if you want that, you crave that in your life, then small groups are for you. So I want to encourage you, put that on your radar because joy is found in friendship. The second lesson that these women teach us about joy is the joy of worship. The joy of worship. Luke 1:41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it that you've granted to me, is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. This is a remarkable passage Because before his birth, Jesus was recognized as Messiah and Lord. Jesus hadn't even been born yet. He had been conceived in the womb of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. But before he was even born, he was already recognized as Messiah and Lord. 
Jesus was surrounded by worship, surrounded by adoration from the moment of his conception. John the Baptist, we read in this story, he's only 24 weeks in the womb. John the Baptist leaped in the womb with joy at the presence of Jesus. What does that say about babies in the womb? They could be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lived in John the Baptist when he was only 24 weeks in the womb of his mother Elizabeth. And he worshipped from the womb. Similarly, his mother worshipped. She said, I can't believe that the mother of my Lord would come and, and talk to me. Elizabeth worshipped. Furthermore, Mary worshipped. If you go further in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 46, Mary burst out into a song. She's singing to the Lord. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And then what we know from, from Christmas, we know the Christmas story very well. When Jesus was born, who was there to worship? We had shepherds there to worship, wise men there to worship, angels there to worship. Okay, Jesus is surrounded by worship. He's surrounded by worship from the womb. He's surrounded by worship the moment he is born. There's no one else in creation who is worshiped like Jesus because no one is worthy of our worship except for Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. Worship. And here's what we're learning in this story. Joy leads to worship. Joy leads to worship. You are a singing church. Every time I worship with you guys, I feel the joy of your hearts. I feel that you are here praising God because the joy of Jesus is overflowing in you and it's just coming out naturally as you sing songs to the Lord. That's worship. Worship happens when we're overwhelmed with the joy of God, when the Holy Spirit sinks into our souls, awakens us to a new life, and we have this joy that can't be explained, and it just pours out of us. That's exactly what's happening in this passage. Everybody around Jesus is worshiping. His mom is worshiping. His aunt is worshiping. John the Baptist is worshiping. Everybody is worshiping because joy leads to worship. I want to share with you guys a, a famous uh, little excerpt out of the Westminster Confession of Faith. You guys ever heard of that before? Westminster Confession of Faith? There's a, there's a famous excerpt out of it. It's this. It's a question and an answer. The question is, what is the chief end of man? How would you answer that question? If somebody asked you, what is the chief end of man? Why are we here? What's our purpose? What's, what, what did God design us for? What is our chief end? Well, theologians in the past, they wrestled through this question, and here's the answer, and it's brilliant. It's this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's why we're here. That is why we're here. You and I have been made to worship, to worship. And here's one thing I want you to know this morning. We don't worship God because he needs us. We worship God because we need him. You're, you're here this morning. You're here this morning. I hope this is why you're here this morning. I hope that you're here this morning because you have a craving for the Lord. I hope maybe, and maybe you're skeptical this morning. Maybe you're, you're just feeling things out and you don't know if this church thing is really for you. you someone, a friend brought you here against your will and you're kind of bummed because we don't have donuts in the lobby. Don't worry, we're going to have them next week, okay? So come back. 
We've got donuts and coffee next week. But my hope for you this morning, and, and every morning when we gather on a Sunday morning, I hope that you are here because you recognize in your heart of hearts that you need more of the Lord in your life. We don't worship God because he needs our worship. We don't worship God because he needs any, he doesn't need anything from us. He's the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings. He reigns on the throne. We talked about that last week. He doesn't need our worship, but we need him. And God, to top this off, God delights in worshipers. God delights in worshipers. God sees our worship when we come to him out of a place of need and we bring our burdens and we bring our concerns and our worries, kind of like these women are doing. They're perplexed, they're confused. Life has thrown them a major curveball, a major curveball. But at the end of the day, no matter how confused, no matter how complex, no matter what's going on at the end of the day, what do they do? They worship. What about you? At the end of the day, No matter what you're facing, no matter how confused you are, no matter how big the battle, no matter how strange the circumstances, no matter how impossible your future may look, what are you going to do at the end of the day? Are you going to run from the Lord? Are you going to be angry with the Lord? Are you going to lift up your praise to him in worship regardless of what you face? Because when you worship, guess what you get back? You get back joy. We are never happier than when we worship God. We are never happier than when we worship the Lord. Worship is part of who we are and what we are as created beings because we've been made by God for his glory to enjoy God forever. Have you ever heard the expression, you are what you eat? I try to teach my kids this, all right? My kids, uh, they're, they're figuring their diets out. Uh, sometimes they'll eat like 12 donuts in a day. And so I tell them, hey, probably not a good idea. You are what you eat. Now, I try to tell my kids, now, if, if you eat bad things, if you eat junk, you'll begin to feel like junk. If you eat good things, if you eat healthy food, you begin to feel good. If you eat in and out, you'll always be happy, okay? <laughs> always. Some of you understand. I heard that. That was a real amen. That's the best one yet. Okay. When we say you are what you eat, we don't actually mean that if you eat pizza, you'll become pizza. We don't mean that, right? But we do know that consuming too much junk impacts not only our physiology, but also our mental health. Did you realize that? What we put in our bodies impacts not only our physiology, but even our mental health. Well, the same could be said about worship. You are what you worship. You are what you worship. If you worship God, then you begin to look like God. You begin to reflect the heart and character of God. That's because worshiping God doesn't just bring you joy. It also inspires the attributes of the Holy Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things are inspired through worship. When you worship the Lord and you're filled with his Holy Spirit, you begin to look like the Lord. 
You begin to mimic the Lord naturally. He begins to reflect in you, in your lifestyle. You are what you worship. G.K. Beale says this. He says, what you revere, you resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. What you revere, you resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. You are what you worship. And so one question we should ask ourselves as we read this story, we saw first the joy of friendship. These women, they're perplexed, they're confused. They got to get together and share their thoughts with a friend. Once they hear from the friend and they realize, man, Gabriel met with you. Well, Gabriel met with me. You're going to have a child named John. I'm going to have a child named Jesus. And and their fears are starting to melt away. They see God's fingerprints all all over their lives. The next response they feel is worship. And so they're they're worshiping the Lord and and, and they're reflecting the Lord through their worship. But one thing that their story is, is forcing us to ask ourselves is this. What are we worshiping today? What do we worship? Is God the one who is on the throne of our lives or is something else ruling and reigning in his place? The Bible speaks often about things called idols. You guys heard of those before? Now, when we think of idols, we typically think of tiny little statues that you set up, creepy-looking statues typically. You set up in a weird place and maybe you make sacrifices to it. Well, idols aren't just creepy statues. Idols are anything that you put before God. We Westerners, we don't have a lot of statues anymore. We do. We have some statues that we worship. We have some figures, like sports figures or celebrities that we worship. We have some symbols that we worship. That's, that hasn't changed. But, but we've, we're a little more complex in that, in that sometimes the things that we worship are a little more subtle, but they are, they're still an idol. Anything that you put before God is, in fact, an idol. An idol is whatever is favored or loved, feared or served, delighted in or depended on more than God. Idols are anything that, anything that we put before the Lord. And so when you're, when you're thinking about worship, one question to ask yourself today is this. What is number one in your life right now? Who is number one in your life right now? Who or what is reigning on the throne of your life? Is your idol your job, your career? One of the movies that my kids are loving watching during this Christmas season is an old movie called Jingle All the Way. You guys remember this movie? They're loving this movie, and they keep watching it on repeat. Johnny wants to get a Turbo Man. I saw one at Target. They're selling Turbo Man at Target, okay? So Johnny's, Johnny's all, all about this movie right now. If you remember this movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger he, he has this amazing career. He's doing really good. He's very successful. But what we're learning in this movie as the movie unfolds is that he found himself at a point in his career where he was giving his career all the best of what he had, and he was giving his wife and his son his leftovers. He worshiped his career. That story is on repeat with so many men in our society and it's, it's, it's a subtle thing that happens where we begin to worship our careers, we worship our jobs, we worship our success, and then our kids and our wife, our family gets the leftovers. And what happens in the story is, is he almost sacrificed his wife and his child on the altar of success. Until finally, at the end of the story, 
He has an aha moment and he realizes what truly matters. And so what, I, what this story and what other stories teach us is that when, we, when something else takes the place of God in our lives, becomes number one in our lives, whatever that thing might be, those things, those idols, those lowercase g gods, they could only let us down in the end. They will take far more from us than we're actually willing to pay. Idols, lowercase g gods, they always overpromise and they underdeliver. And so if Jesus is not on the throne of your heart, then whatever is will eventually let you down because nothing else in all of creation, nothing in creation can carry the weight of your worship. If you're worshiping a person, you're going to be let down. If you're worshiping money, you're going to be let down. If you're worshiping health and beauty, they are fleeting. You're going to be let down. If you're, if you're worshiping popularity and success, they're fickle. You're going to be let down. But God is eternal. God is perfect. And if you build your life on the rock of Jesus Christ, you will never be let down in your worship. Never. These women were about to start a new journey. One was over 60. One was about 16. And they knew if they were going to succeed, they needed to build their life on the rock of Christ. They needed the Messiah just as much as you and I need the Messiah. Worship is the overflow of joy. And so one thing to wrestle through this morning is what are you worshiping? And worship, just as as we've seen every week here at, at South Valley, worship, it's an important part of what we do at South Valley because here at South Valley, we adore Jesus. Singing is the natural response of a heart that's overflowing with love for the Savior. We're never happier than when we're worshiping God. And we're never more in tune with the presence of God than when we pour out our hearts in praise to him. And the only reason we even get to draw near to God in worship in the first place is because of Advent. Jesus was born in a manger, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death so that we could could approach the Lord in worship. Do you know the joy of worship? Do you know the joy of authentic, heartfelt worship? Finally, the last lesson these women teach us is the joy of belief. Verse 45 says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary and Elizabeth are heroes of the faith because they believed God for big things. They believed God for big things. They believed God would help them through their pregnancies. They believed the Lord that their children would become who he said they would become. They believed that salvation had finally arrived through the advent of Jesus, the Savior of the world. And it wasn't easy for them. It wasn't always comfortable for them. But there was great joy in trusting the Lord to come through. And that's because joy and blessing come to those who believe. Come to those who believe. I encourage you this Advent season, deepen your belief. Look at the story of these women. The trials that they had to endure, 
The, the feelings that they must have felt receiving such a, a, a huge mission from the Lord. At the end of the day, it was a test for them. It was a trial for them. Were they going to trust God to come through? Or were they going to let fear overwhelm them and overcome them and, and hinder them from fulfilling the plan God had for them? I want to encourage you this season, deepen your belief. What in your life right now, what seems impossible to you? Is there anything in your world right here in this moment that feels too heavy or too big for you to carry? Mary and Elizabeth, their faith was put to the test. And for some of you, I know as I've talked with many of you, as we've prayed together, I know that some of you are in this room, even right now, today, your faith is being put to the test. You're going through something that feels too big. You're going through something that seems too confusing. And instead of sharing it with a friend, you've just kind of held on to it in your own heart and you've allowed isolation to to cause you to fear more. I want to encourage you, if you're going through something too big, share it with a friend. The second thing, if you're going through something too big, I want to encourage you, even when it's big, even when it's hard, even when it's confusing, when we gather to sing praises to the Lord, open up your mouth. Even when it's hard, open up your mouth. Because as you open up your mouth, the Spirit of the Lord is going to fill your heart. He's going to give you joy that you didn't know was possible. And the last thing that you need to know before you leave this place, if you're facing something that's too heavy, that's too big, you got a trial, you're being tested by the Lord right now. Maybe you, in fact, are being tested. Just like these women were being tested. Will you trust me? Will you not trust me? If you are being tested, if you are in a trial, my question for you is this. Will you believe that God is going to work things out for your good or you will you not? This is a reminder to keep on believing, to trust the Lord even when it's hard. Not to run from God when things are tough, but to run towards God when things are tough. To believe even when it's hard, to believe even when it's confusing. And when these trials come, when these trials come, when they test your faith, if you believe, if you endure, Your character will be developed in ways that it could never be developed in any other circumstance. God's going to have a testimony with you, just as he has a testimony with these women. Because what does James say about trials? When we face these different battles, when we face these hard, confusing times, he says, count it all what? Joy. Let's say that again. Count it all what? Count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that we may be perfect, lacking in nothing. We're gonna take a moment right now as as a family to process our belief with the Lord, to, to unload some of our burdens, to unload some of our sins, to be real and to be honest with our our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to do that through communion. If you need a communion packet, you could raise your hand, and the ushers will bring you one, by the way. If you need one, go ahead and raise your hand nice and high, and the ushers will come bring you one. Communion is a special time for believers to slow down and to reorient their lives, to, to, to look at Jesus Christ, to remember his sacrifice for their sins on the cross. It's it's a time to remember that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Words that were spoken by John the Baptist, the son of Elizabeth. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
And so one thing I want to encourage you to do this morning is this. What sins do you need Jesus to take away today? What burdens do you need to lay at Jesus' feet today? What fears do you need to let go of today? What anxieties do you need to confess today? Are there any idols in your life? Anything in your world right now that you are putting in front of Jesus? Maybe it's work. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's success. Maybe, I don't know, it could be status or attention or it could be another person. What idols do you need to to let go of today? Take a moment right now. Share with Jesus how you feel. Confess to him the ways that you need strength in your belief, that you need the joy of the Lord in your heart. Confess your sin and allow him to fill you. And then I'll lead us together as a family in the elements together. Go ahead and take a moment now to talk to Jesus. Matthew 26, 26 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. After blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said, Take and eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's remember Jesus' blood together. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. One way we wanted to close out service today is first by renewing our belief through communion. The second way, just a natural way to close our service today, is to, to proclaim our belief and our joy through singing. So we're going to close with one more song. And, and during this song, I want to encourage you to, to be authentic with the Lord, to really pour yourself out in, in his presence. Some of you came today without joy. You can leave today with joy. There is joy in worship. He, God does something in worship that, that, that happens nowhere else when we're, when we're real, when we're authentic, when we pour ourselves out and we say, God, I need you. I hope in you. I believe in you. Even when it's tough, I trust that you're there. I need the joy of belief today. And so we're going to sing one more song. I want you guys to stand up. And as you stand, I'm going to pray for us. We'll close out with one more song and just tell the Lord how much we love him this morning. Father God, I thank you so much 
for sending your son. I thank you for the Christmas season. I thank you for the reminder that, that, uh, that you love us. You love us so much that, that Jesus, you took on flesh. You were born in a manger. You, you, you were born among animals. You, you lived a perfect life. You died a sacrificial death. You, you were crucified alongside criminals. You rose from the grave for our salvation. You gave us the Holy Spirit. We have the same Holy Spirit who lived in John when he was in the womb, the same Holy Spirit who inspired and empowered the ministry of Jesus. That same Spirit resides in South Valley. And I just pray, God, that we would not be afraid to let the Spirit reign. Even when we're concerned, even when we're feeling a bit lost, I pray that we would lean not into doubt, but into faith, not into fear, but into joy. Renew our joy, renew our strength, empower us to be the church that you called us to be. And for us who are are older in the room today, remind us of the call to invest in the younger. For those who are younger in the room today, remind us of the call to to learn from the older. Help us all to do our part in, in building friendship, building relationships to the glory of God. It's him, it's you that we seek to honor this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.